This week I wanted to share some reflections with you on this realm of emotions, <coughs> and in particular how to navigate emotions uh, with our meditation. You might have remembered, for those of you who were, who were here last week, I gave a talk on views. You, you might remember I, I uh, shared with you the story, Voices in the Park, of these different views of just one situation. And how, maybe if your mind's like my mind, you notice is that our minds can get so hooked by one view and we can't see other views. And that can lead down to uh, a road of all kinds of trouble. Maybe you've experienced that like I have experienced as well. And when I was reflecting on on what we were exploring last week about views, I realized that that this exploration wouldn't be complete, an exploration of how the dynamic around views without uh, a conversation or to share some reflections around emotion. Because also what I notice, and you might notice the same thing, is that what fuels my views a lot of times is some kind of emotion. That's what keeps them going. And the... It, it becomes a big hook, my views become a big ho- hook if I don't recognize the emotion that's underneath it. This has a lot to do with a lot of the things that arise in our lives. If we can't really touch the emotion that's there, we're going to be off and running in, in ways that really don't serve us in, in some kind of manner. And I want to uh, point out, it, it's it's quite fascinating in early Buddhism, the the language of early Buddhism is something called Pali, which is the uh, this, this uh, language that you find the early Buddhist discourses in. And there's actually not a word for emotion in Pali. Also in Tibetan, so when, when Buddhism kind of goes to these other countries, there's not a, a word for emotion as well, uh, there as well. And it doesn't mean that, that early Buddhism or Tibetan Buddhism has, has neglected the, the emotional world. It's just that they divide experience up in a different way. And, and I just want to name that because sometimes we can get so caught in our view about how we divide up experience that we think that that's the one way to divide things up. The way it's divided up in terms of the practice of mindfulness, there's a discourse by the Buddha called the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. Four areas to be present with, to be mindful of actually know and understand because when we know and understand them there's a, a quality of freedom that arises in our life and those are the first one is the body to keep it simple for tonight it just means this realm of sensation feeling the body the second one is feeling tone and it's this flavor of, a, of a experience being pleasant unpleasant or neutral and then the third one is is the place where there's emotion which is uh uh, the, the Pali is uh, citta-nupasana, which is uh, the contemplation of the mind. So citta, a- actually, um, the way it's usually translated is mind, but it could be just as easily translated as heart. So it's the heart-mind. So it's what arises in the heart, you could say, or what arises in the heart and mind. So that could be all of the emotions, but it could also be concentration, it could be volition, it can be all these things. So emotion gets clump- clumped in, into that arena. And then the fourth foundation of, of mindfulness, just to complete this, is a contemplation of what's called dhammas, or you could say categories or ways of framing experience. So a different way of, of dividing things. And, and tonight I just want to talk about uh, uh, emotion and not the full range of what would be called mental states. And I feel this is an important conversation to have because 
the emotional world, the world of emotions can be so incredibly challenging. And it's it's an essential world in terms of being a human being. This this is what gives richness to our lives, is is the feeling of emotion. And I'm sure all of you have experienced, though, the opposite, is they can be overwhelming, confusing, oppressive. This is the world of emotion. I feel it's important to remember that emotions can arise in a split second. And they can move us to do things that we're not even conscious of. And I want to point out actually that that is a really good thing at times. This is really important. So if I'm being chased by a tiger, I don't want to be thinking about it. <laughs> the fear surges through my body and it, it, um, uh, it follows this, you could say, this programming of either fleeing or fighting or doing whatever is necessary to take care of the situation. If I had to think about that, I probably wouldn't be around or we wouldn't be around as a species. In terms of navigating our car, sometimes if you've been in a a close call with a car accident, where we can very quickly um, uh, move our car in a split second. And a lot of times that's fueled by fear and all the things that are going on there. We don't want to be conscious of every single movement of the body when that's happening or we wouldn't be able to get out of the, the situation. So this is a, a, a wonderful thing about emotions. They can happen in a split, split second and they can allow us to do things that we're not even conscious of. Thank God, what a wonderful system we got here. It's great being a mammal, it really is. <laughs> and at the same time, this is the big tragedy, isn't it? Who here has not done something foolish out of an emotion? You've probably noticed the opposite thing, where you're doing something before you think about it, before you're conscious of it. That's this mammalian brain kicking in. And it's a tragedy. There's all kinds of of things that happen, uh, which we wish didn't happen because of that. So we have to see the blessing of it, but we also have to see the curse of it and and learn how to, to navigate it. And I think this speaks to one of the insights that we can gain through meditation is that most of the time, where there's going to be a number of um, caveats to this, but most of the time you're not in control of, of emotions. Right? Most of the time you don't choose to be emotional. It's something that happens to you. And this is very important to notice because a lot of times we, we can, even people can come to meditation and feel like, oh, if I meditate enough, maybe I'll get in control of my emotions and then this will be really great. Isn't this what meditation is all about? They talk about controlling the mind. That'd be like controlling the heart. And then I'd be controlling my emotions and then everything would be okay. Wouldn't that be cool? So it doesn't work that way. Again, because of this mammalian physiology that I'm just pointing out. So we can think we're in control, but we're not. Uh, Emotion gets triggered by all kinds of things, by memories, imagination, often, of course, the things that are going on around us, the behaviors of others, the earth moving in a particular way, (laughs) the smell of smoke, all of these things 
um, trigger emotion and we're not in control of it. <coughs> so what do we do? That's what I'm going to get to. One is, is developing a new relationship to emotions that are arising. And then also noticing that when we develop this new relationship, then different actions can arise or we can have uh, stop certain actions and allow other actions to, to happen regardless of the emotion that's arising. And the key to this, I want to point out, and I'm going to come back to this, is that the freedom lies in making that which is unconscious conscious. Right? Going back to what I was talking about is emotions can happen and they can allow us to do things so that we don't have to be conscious of them. But if we want to be in the world in a different way, if we want to have a taste of freedom, we start to bring that into, the into our conscious to be aware of it. Because that's what allows for something new to happen. And it, it's very, it's very um, physiological, too, because we're using a different part of the brain that helps mediate some of the uh, emotional charge. And we'll come back to this, because this is uh, an important aspect of, of meditation. I feel it's important to remember emotions are powerful. You could say they're stronger than the will to live. From strong emotion, from strong, a, a strong sense of sadness or despair or depression, someone can take their lives. They can bypass the will to live. Out of a strong sense of compassion, someone can sacrifice their life for the lives of others. It's a huge pull. Or you think about the other urges that people say are the strongest sexual desire. Even that, right? If someone has a terror of being around other people, there can be um, a cutting off of that. The desire for eating, hunger. If there's a strong sense of disgust of food that's in front of us, we'll starve. This is the power of emotion. And again, there's a positive aspect to this. Emotion is what motivates us. It literally, it's a, a moving or a stirring to be stirred up. And for example, for the spiritual practice, that's what we need, is we, we need to be stirred in some way. We need to be moved in some way. You probably wouldn't be here on a Monday night getting ready to sit silently with a group of people if you weren't moved to do so in some manner. This is what allows the spiritual life to, to unfold, especially since this isn't like, there's not like big advertisements about coming to a meditation group. <laughs> this is something that you really have to, to want, and it's, it's, it's what gives um, life to our spiritual practice and life to our lives. It is, you could say, the, the beginning of, of, of a spiritual practice. Well, one story about that, which I think relates to this, my wife and I had a friend who uh, came and visited us last week, and she's, um, she's a researcher, and she researches um, how to teach kids how to read. And she does some fascinating studies about this. And one of the things she's, she's researched is this model of teaching reading where um, kids have already learned the basics of reading, and then um, what makes it happen is for the teacher really to do very, very little. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to give uh, a children 
a huge range of books that might motivate them to read. And then you have to make sure there's a lot of unstructured time so the kids can hang out and talk about what they're reading. So there's no tests. You don't check in with the teacher about what you're reading. There's no um, uh, benchmarks about how the reading's going. It's about uh, uh, self-autonomy and motivation and then community, which I think is fascinating. And it's been so successful, which I think is sometimes surprising to, to the educational community because there can be always this sense that structure is always what's needed. And they see when there's a lack of structure, is that's what makes reading come alive. And so she was observing this one class, and there was one kid, she was observing it uh, over a long period of time, and there was one child um, that wasn't engaging as much. And all they knew about the child is that he liked monster trucks. So they gave him a whole bunch of books of monster trucks, which probably was a mistake. <laughs> Not because there's anything wrong with monster trucks, but it was something that he said he was uh, interested in. And the books kept on piling up on his desk and then one day, and I think it was because, not because of the teacher, because of all the conversations with the other students going on around him, of them being so interested in, in reading. As, uh, it's fascinating, the book that struck him. It was a story about um, a mother who died. And that was the turning point for him where he became fascinated with reading and he became fascinated with having these discussions with the other kids. Why is that? Because he was moved. It was something emotional that struck a chord in him that wanted him to reach out to other students and wanted him to read more because he, he found the power of, of reading through being moved emotionally. It's the same with our spiritual practice. Many of you might come here because you're moved by suffering in some way. Or you're moved because you have a sense that there's a different way of being in this world. We need to be moved. Now back to what I was talking about before, about navigating emotions differently. This is going to be around more of the meditation realm. And I was gave you this this uh, phrase that freedom is about making that which is unconscious conscious. And some of the key points with this, and I'll, I'll be going over an acronym too, which can be helpful with this, is uh, this is about coming into this world, this inner world of emotion and beginning to touch it, to contact it, to feel it, to be with it in a way that we don't have to necessarily manipulate it and just that can be so powerful one example of this when I first began teaching talking in front of crowds was terrifying I was so nervous talking in front of a group of people like this it was fascinating how it unfolded for me so of course I would first have the uh, intention that I would come and speak in front of a group or teach in front of a group where I would put a lot of effort into calming myself. So breathing deeply, <laughs> contacting the breath, kind of worked. <laughs> Do you know what really changed it though was actually when I turned and, and just allowed myself to be nervous. <laughs> oh, okay, can I just allow myself to feel what it's like to be in front of a group and be nervous? And just to be with that, 
that's when it started to change. Because what changed is I wasn't fighting it anymore. The nervousness could begin to move through. This is feeling it, this is contacting it, this is being aware of it without the need to manipulate it. There's an acronym uh, that was developed by this Vipassana teacher by the name of uh, Michelle McDonald. And the acronym is RAIN. Some of you might be familiar with this. And it's a way of dividing up or getting an understanding of uh, a certain way of being with, with emotion. Some people find it helpful, others not so much. So the R is to recognize the emotion. The A is to allow it or to accept it. The I is to investigate the emotion. And the N is to non-identify. These don't necessarily happen in a sequential order. To me, they're, they're the various qualities that are there when we're being present in a skillful way with emotion. So don't think about these sequentially. Or you could say different qualities that, that are there. First, the R, to recognize the emotion that's there. A reminder, mindfulness is about knowing our experience. I've said before at this group that the, one of the most common words used in the Buddha's uh, discourse on the four foundations of mindfulness, which is really makes the bedrock of how we understand mindfulness these days, is this Pali word pajanati, which means to know. For example, when walking, a practitioner understands I'm walking. When sitting, a practitioner understands I'm sitting. When breathing in long, a practitioner understands I'm breathing in long. It's the knowing of experience. It's the being aware of experience. And it can be very helpful, especially with, when we're beginning to enter into the world of emotion, is to begin to label it so we actually are in contact with it because it can be so easy to overlook this world of emotion. And sometimes what you might find is that there are certain emotions that are easy for you to be aware of and other emotions that seem to um, elude you or you can even begin to notice that there's a kind of avoidance around certain emotions. Sometimes there's um, uh, a cultural conditioning that's also formed this. Sometimes it's, it's around kind of constructed gender, not always, but uh, you know, for example, sometimes for men, it's much easier to, to know that they're angry or that the contact anger, but fear is something that can go, uh, that can be bypassed. And that's sometimes around cultural conditioning of what it is to be a man. And then also uh, women a lot of times can very easily connect to sadness or contact sadness, but anger is something that is avoided or is not felt as much, again, because of this uh, cultural conditioning of, you know, women shouldn't be angry. And if not that all of you are going to follow this, but sometimes there's going to be a certain emotion or two that, that fall out of our, our, um, our range. And it's helpful to name the emotion. So what I'm doing is I'm sitting here, I'm paying attention to the breath, I'm aware, there's, I'm aware there's some feeling there, and then I just name it. Oh, agitation. Oh, tranquility. Oh, joy. So I'm actually labeling it because the, the labeling brings online a different part of your brain, the frontal cortex, which helps actually mediate um, emotional activation. And they've done studies around this called affect labeling, so it can be very helpful.
I, I do want to point out how easy it is to overlook an emotion. I remember noticing this in my own practice where when I began doing Vipassana practice, I had this daily practice and I was great at labeling the thoughts that were arising or knowing the thoughts that were arising, like a planning mind or judging or fantasizing. And there was this particular flavor of planning that just kept on coming up. And it'd be like, oh, planning. And it'd come back to the breath. Oh, planning. Interesting. And then I don't know how much longer <coughs> later it was the recognition, oh, actually, there's worry underneath this. This is, this is, there's a flavor of fear or worry that's actually fueling this. And once I could name the emotion that was underlying that thought, it changed the whole world around feeling it. And it, I mean, telling it to you now, it just sounds so obvious, but it's, it's amazing how an obvious emotion can be missed. So again, what I find helpful is that, especially with thinking, when, when the mind is thinking, I might label what the, the thinking is, remembering, fantasizing, judging, and then to notice if there's any emotional quality that comes with it. <laughs> That's an easy place to do that. And then just throughout the day, I notice, I just check in, how am I feeling right now? So that I'm beginning to, to contact this inner emotional world. To me, this has been one of the, the most powerful things about meditation is entering that world. And I want to say it's possible to actually meditate for many, many years and never contact that world, which I don't think is a very good thing. So important to, to, to contact that. So to recognize, so to name it for some people can be helpful. To allow it. So I'm allowing the emotion to be there. I'm not fueling it, though, either. Which, is I'm, I'm, uh, which means if I'm lost in a story, I'm really angry at somebody at work, maybe something like that. I'm still making the conscious effort of when I notice the mind is lost in thought, lost in the anger, that I come back to the breath or the feeling of the anger. So I'm not, it's not like, oh, goody, this is time to be angry at <laughs> you know, my coworker. It's, it's time to actually be with the feeling. So I'm not feeling it, and I'm not trying to get rid of it. So I, I don't, I'm not coming to meditation with the hope of, oh, if I meditate enough, maybe I won't feel angry anymore. Or maybe I'll never have to feel sad or anxious or worried any longer. That's why I want to meditate. And maybe if I meditate, it'll go away really quickly. Then I have an agenda with my meditation. <laughs> and again, that's not what we're trying to do here. We're trying to be with our experience. So I need to notice when that comes up, oh, wanting. There's a wantingness to go away. Oh, there's, there's an aversion to this emotion. There's a not liking it. So there's an emotion on top of an emotion. The I in RAIN investigate. Explore it. A few different ways. The way I explore emotion, which is so helpful, is how does it feel in my body? What part of my body seems to resonate with this feeling of emotion? A lot of times it's going to be in this part of my body, from my neck down below my belly button is a lot of times where I feel the most of any kind of emotional movement. And I'm simply feeling the sensation quality because the, the other thing that's helpful about that is if I'm lost in thought, it gives me a place to go. I notice that there's planning, there's worry, and then I feel the worry in my body. I notice what happens to it. It increases or decreases. The sensations increase or decrease. It gives me a medium to be with it, to make contact, to feel it. 
sometimes also I'm aware of an emotion before I'm aware of kind of the beliefs that are fueling it. All of a sudden I I'm, I'm notice there's a sense of feeling of anger. Oh, and then I start to notice the beliefs or the stories around it. So then that's another way of being aware of another aspect of it. About contacting the emotion or exploring it, especially in the body, what's essential is to do this small thing. This is around most emotions, not all emotions. But for example, if um, if I'm worried about something in my life, what I need to do is I need to step away from what I call the object or that which I'm worried about or that's w- which I'm afraid of or angry about or sad about. So I'm, I'm stepping away from that and instead contacting the actual experience of the emotion. And it's good for me to remind myself of this. Oh, okay, okay, I need to let go of the object or where, th- where this emotion is directed at and can I feel it in the body? So I'm, I'm uh, letting go of that so I can direct my attention to uh, the direct experience of it. And, and I want to point out this shifting of your attention is the radical thing about mindfulness. Mindfulness is this shifting. It's shifting away from the story and actually feeling it because this is where there's a new relationship to the emotion that uh, begins to emerge. This is what it is to, to bring that which is unconscious into consciousness, especially in terms of sensation. And then the N, non-identify. I want to point out, really, the the R, the recognize, the A, the allow, and the I, investigate, all have implied in them that this is not me, this is not mine. So important. What a drag considering ourselves a judgmental person, or a sad person, or a happy person, or an angry person. How limiting. How confining. Oh, this is who I am. I knew it. My friends always tell me I'm judgmental. Here it is again. Here's the, here's the proof. That doesn't sound like a new relationship to emotion. <laughs> that doesn't sound very helpful. It's constructing a, a, a limited sense of self around emotion that doesn't al- actually allow us to simply contact it. Can you see that emotions are just things that arise and pass away. That's all they are. There's no need to claim them. Two other things. When the Buddha talks about what's called citta nupassana, or the contemplation of mind states, or the being aware of mind states, which includes, includes emotions, he talks about being aware when an emotion is arising, since we're talking about this specific realm, and when it's present, but also when it's not there, which I think is fascinating. <laughs> what are you mostly aware of? If you're like me, we're, a lot of times we're aware of emotion when things aren't going so well, when, when there's a, a lot of sadness or frustration or confusion. It's important to notice the moments that those aren't there all the time. And, and that's very important to see that. And a lot of times when those aren't there, a lot of times there's some kind of what I'd call positive emotion there. Can you recognize that? 
So this also is a segue into being aware of positive emotions. When you're sitting here, you might feel tranquil at times, calm. There might be a quality of peace at times. When you're in the grocery store, for some unknown reason, you start to feel kind to the person who's in the aisle. What a beautiful thing to con contact. You see someone having a hard time and naturally you have a feeling of compassion. There's a sense of joy or wonder or awe. So important to contact that and to actually feel those emotions to savor them. That's the richness of being a human being. What a tragedy to live our lives and not to be conscious of that. Very bleak pic picture not to feel the richness of such positive emotions. A, a few labels that I want to add just as a, a way of ending, um, just that can help for practicality. Just the basic emotion that's there, anger, sadness, fear, happiness, surprise, disgust, worry. There might be other feelings, restlessness, concern, hundreds of, of confusion of emotion words. So it's great to start to, you can even get one of those emotion lists just to have a broader palette to, to, to um, pick from. So there's a richness to that. Some other um, labels that I found helpful, and I get this actually from Shinzen Young, which I find really helpful, which is uh, if I don't know what the emotion is, to label something. Oh, something's there. Or some emotion's there that's pleasant. So something pleasant or something unpleasant. So I'm not looking for the word. I'm just simply contacting it in some way. So that, that can be really helpful to label something, something pleasant, something unpleasant. So we're not trying to figure out we're still being with. And then an, another label which I find really helpful is when there's a sense of no emotion, to label that peace. I could even use tranquility as, uh, as well. Actually, tranquility can have a little bit different feeling. Peace, I actually find a, a wonderful label because if I'm labeling peace, a lot of times there comes a moment where it's like, wait a minute, I'm not feeling peaceful. <laughs> that is not the right label. Then I know there's some other emotion there. <laughs> it's very helpful because there's an incongruency with my experience. Okay, so let's um, just a review. Rain is recognize, allow, investigate, not identify. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.